This is The Plural of You, the podcast about people helping people. I'm Josh Morgan. I'm a sociologist and a writer, and I use this podcast to share stories from people who are making a difference in the lives of others. People like you and me. Steve Spahn is the Chief Operating Officer at the Able Gamers Foundation, a nonprofit organization that helps those with disabilities play video games. The mission behind Able Gamers is to give everyone access to the benefits that gaming provides, especially to those people who can't play video games without assistive technology. Able Gamers has grown over the years from a small website to a leading organization for change in the gaming industry, and Steve's job is to keep their services running smoothly. I talked with Steve about the importance of accessibility in video games and how the mission has affected his own journey with disability, and I'll play the conversation in a moment. Back in the day, gaming brought me and my friends together and helped us communicate during times when that wasn't always easy. I have a ton of fond memories from sharing certain games with them, and we still tell stories about silly things that we used to do. Like when my brother would level up in Star Ocean the second story by leaving a shoe on top of a turbo button. Or the first time we played Grand Theft Auto 3 and we stole an ambulance. Most of the research I've seen supports this type of experience. And studies show that cooperative gameplay promotes cooperative behaviors and can reduce aggression in the real world. I even found a textbook that was published in 2013 on the social significance of online games. Sadly, these are the types of stories that some with disabilities haven't been able to participate in. But Steve and Able Gamers are working every day to reach those individuals and get them involved. In a way, I suppose I've taken gaming for granted. I mean, I'm not going to start playing again every day, but now I know that there were people who would love to play but can't, and now I appreciate why they would want to. Play doesn't have to be a frivolous thing, and adults need playful activities just like children do. Again, I'm sure Steve didn't come into our conversation to change my views on anything, but he convinced me that gaming doesn't have to be a waste of time. For some, gaming offers access to shared experiences that may otherwise be inaccessible to them, and I think that's a unique gift to give to someone. I've admired the Able Gamers crew for years, so I'm honored that Steve agreed to talk with me. An interview he did with Playboy Magazine went live not long before we talked, which must have been surreal for him to be a part of. But it goes to show how the perception of gaming has changed over the years, and how interest in greater accessibility is growing to match it. Here's Steve Spawn. COO at the Able Gamers Foundation. So how's it going? How's your day been? Oh, it's not too bad. How about yours? Oh, it's going pretty well. You know, I'm actually a little humbled. I never expected to interview someone that's been featured on Playboy. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, it's just another day in the life of somebody doing charity work. <laughs> so tell me about Able Gamers. What types of services do you provide? Sure. So Able Gamers is a nonprofit that provides help for people who are disabled and would like to play video games. We both empower people who are disabled to be able to play video games by showing them the equipment that is available on the market that they could purchase themselves or go through our grant program to apply for in order to play video games just like anyone else. We also reach out to the industry and we offer free consultation to developers. Some of the big names from uh, Blizzard all the way down through PopCap and, and mobile games that need some help designing accessible games and coming up with options that people can use to play the games if they need to play a little bit differently than everyone else. 
What types of disabilities do you help people work around to play video games? Well, we don't really have any particular kind of disability that we we help or don't help. Uh, we we like to say that everyone should be able to game. So if you're mm-hmm. somebody who has a physical disability like a muscular dystrophy or a cerebral palsy, or if you have low vision, or if you're a deaf gamer or a hard of hearing gamer, or you know something like having an injury from you know war trauma or just an accident. Uh, we can generally help you get back into playing. We don't do as much on the cognitive disability side. Um, that's more of a, a software problem, whereas you need games that are specifically made or can be easily learned by someone that may have different learning abilities than anyone else. But we do have games that are more recommended for someone who might be on the autism spectrum or someone who may have learning disabilities or dyslexia, something like that. I was wondering, with all these services that you provide, like how do you help accommodate for all of these different conditions? Well, uh, in a lot, lot of ways, we're sort of a resource hub. So we have a lot of people that are experts in different areas of disability. For example, my wheelhouse is more of the PC side, more you know, people who have severe physical disabilities. And we'll just sort of take you know someone into our laboratory, check out what their abilities are, what their desires are as far as what they'd like to play, run them through the different options that we know about and see if any of them fit. And if they do, great. And if they don't fit anything that we already have done or do, then we start looking at using our 3D printer or reaching out to our hardware contacts or our software contacts and figure out something that wouldn't work for that specific instance. That sounds really sophisticated. Wow. Yeah, it's not uh, it's not sophisticated so much as it is just sort of taking the time to learn each individual gamer's needs and wants and, you know, sort of figure out where the strengths lie and, you know, oh, well, you, you can move your calf muscle, oh, you can move your left leg a little bit more than your right, okay, well, what about a switch there? And it's really no different than any other physical therapy. It's just sort of identifying, you know, where someone has strengths and then playing to those strengths in order to get them gaming. Mm-hmm. Now, how did Able Gamers get started? Like, what's the story behind all of this? Ten years ago, uh, a fellow by the name of Mark Barlet started Able Gamers as a response to an incident that happened with his sister from another mother in an airbase situation. Basically, she and he would always meet together to play EverQuest. And one day when they went to have their EverQuest meeting... She was unable to play, and uh, unfortunately at the time, multiple sclerosis had taken away her ability to be able to use her right hand to play with the mouse, and she was sort of terrified and and thought that that was it. She was not going to game anymore, and and of course, you know, being um, a friend and, and wanting to help his friend through this tragic time, Mark started looking on the internet to find out, you know, if you have this kind of condition, what can you do to get around it? And sadly, at the time, there was virtually no information on how you would conquer a disability and still play a game. So, you know, a few days went by, and the MS attack subsided. Unfortunately, Stephanie regained her ability to use the mouse. But at the same time, they both sort of realized, like, wow, you know, if this happened to me, then this could happen to anyone. And they never wanted anyone to have that same feeling of terror that you would lose this passion this this hobby that you had held dearly to your to your heart and and no longer be able to participate in it 
So they started up a small little blog and sort of started reaching out to developers and saying, you know, hey, uh, have you thought about accessibility? You know, what would happen if you couldn't do this or couldn't do that? And it very quickly evolved into having a community of people who came by, gave their own expertise and knowledge. And then about three years after its conception, um, Able Gamers became a full IRS 501c3 nonprofit. I came on board and then we started off onto the crazy journey of Playboy articles and CNN interviews that we're on today. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty impressive. Now, now how did you get involved? I was uh, just a gamer. Um, I actually used to be a first-person shooter gamer. Um, I was, you know, back in the MLG, you know, like uh, lightweight amateur divisions and, and playing. Oh wow! Things like um, tribes, Starseed tribes, and sort of doing my own thing. And my disease is neuromuscular, but I'm also slowly losing the ability to to be able to play. And at the time, I was just on the cusp of losing the ability to use a mouse and a keyboard at the same time. And I knew that there must be technology out there. I've always been a technology guy. I've always been really into gadgets and whatnot, but I didn't know anything about accessibility. I reached out to the interwebs to to look to see what was available, and Able Gamer's name was all over it. So I went to Able Gamers, and uh, the very first thing I saw was a World of Warcraft article that was... Written by Mark saying that World of Warcraft was completely inaccessible to you if you could not use both a keyboard and a mouse. And I was like, no, 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 that's not true. I only use a mouse right now, and I can totally play it. You're wrong. You have no idea what you're doing, what you're talking about. And (laughs) instead of shooting me down or treating me like an internet troll, he said, oh, yeah, you think you can do it better than write about it. So, you know, being a cocky little teenager, I I was like, oh, sure, I'll do it, whatever. And I wrote about it and, you know, got some great feedback. And a lot of people were like, wow, thanks. I didn't know I could play from it. And then once you help somebody out, that feeling you get. It, it's like a drug. It's like an addiction. You just you just want to keep helping people and keep making the world better. And you know, mm-hmm. slowly but surely, uh, almost a decade later, here I am, the the number two of the organization, just trying to help the people out. Yeah. Now you worked your way all the way up to COO. Yep. What what do you do day to day? So day to day operations mostly includes trying to make sure all the parts available gamers are working. We have one branch, um, Unstoppable Gamer. That is our review branch. So basically, we take in games and review them for their accessibility. So instead of like a typical Kodaku or you know any of the, the Destructoids where they review a game for fun, we review it for based on its accessibility. So you know, uh, you know, how much jumping will I need to do in the latest Yoshi game? How much shooting and, and action flicking will I need to do in the latest Call of Duty? And we sort of lay it out. So if you have these different disabilities, you'll know before you purchase the game whether or not you stand a good chance of being able to play it or play it to your level. Um, and then you know we have our, our outreach program where a lot of us go to these different facilities, whether it be a hospital or a group home or a care facility, and we reach out to the people living there or being treated and see if we can help them get back into gaming, whether that's, you know, giving them controllers or teaching them a new way to to think about playing. You know, maybe, you know, you just lost an arm and and you need to figure out how to play with one-handed. We'll actually come to you and help you figure out exactly what it is that you should be doing to gaming. Whether that's, you know, through through email. Um, If we have someone in the area, then we'll actually send someone to you if, you know, that's something that you're interested in. 
And then, of course, we have a lot of expos that we go to. So we're at the Penny Arcades and the South by Southwest's and, you know, all those that are in the gaming circle. We're normally there with our equipment, sort of spreading awareness that disabled gamers not only exist, but they're, they're part of your community and you're probably playing games with them and you might not realize it. Mm-hmm. Now, I've read elsewhere that Able Gamers has three big suggestions uh, as far as improving accessibility in games. Could you summarize those for me? Absolutely. So there's there's a lot of suggestions that we have with our includification documents. But the big three are having remappable keys, which are becoming standard. Not every game does it so far, but the ability to change what key you can push for what ability is, is slowly becoming standardized. It's not as big as number two, which is subtitles. Subtitles are sort of everywhere now. You know, that's mostly thanks to the federal mandate law for media being, you know, movies and TV shows have to have subtitles. So that was translated over to video games. Whereas there's, oh, nice. yeah, there, there's no laws for video games. So that's why there are no remappable key mandates and stuff like that. But subtitles, well, oh, there's still a media. So there has to be subtitles. And then, of course, having colorblind options. So one in seven men have some type of color deficiency. So having the ability to change between different options of colorblindness can actually help a large segment of the population be able to play more comfortably. I wasn't aware of that, huh? Now, how receptive have developers been to th- these types of suggestions? Well, you know, it depends on... I'm sure it varies, yeah. Yeah, it depends on what publisher and what time frame you're looking at. Back when I first came on to Able Gamers, we went down to GDC, and there's this video on YouTube. Uh, your audience can feel free to look it up on our, our channel. I'm sorry, what is what is GDC? GDC is the Game Developers Conference. So okay. once a year, all the big who's who of game developers come to one central conference and basically talk about what's coming up in that year for you know virtual reality or 3D technology or whatever it might might be. Okay. You know, this year is all about the virtual headsets. So that's sort of what we're dealing with in our world right now. Yeah, I saw Oculus Rift maybe coming out, I think, in March. Yep, it's coming out in March. It'll be $500, and it's uh, it's an interesting accessibility challenge that we'll be dealing with real soon. But GDC is is sort of the, the end-all, be-all of developer conferences. There's other ones I talked about earlier, like Penny Arcade, PAX, and South by Southwest. Those kind of ones are more for the audience, whereas GDC is more for developers. We went to GDC, and we sort of set up a camera and said to all the developers walking by, hey, can we ask you one question? We brought them over and said, have you ever thought about accessibility? And they either answered yes or no. And that's that's all we did for an entire five-minute video was ask all these developers about how they heard about accessibility. Most of them at the time said no, a few yeses, and only one douchebag walked away. So, yeah, just straight up laughed at us and walked away. That was an incredible guy. At the time, the seven years ago, no. No one thought about accessibility and no one really cared. Today, uh, the landscape is so much different where you actually have people coming to us and saying, hey, I really want to include gamers with disabilities in my product. You know, how can I make it better? And we really have the high-end sort of you know, top-tier publishers coming to us and asking how they can make games better. But of course, you know, there's always the yin and the yang. For everyone that comes to us and asks, there's another one like Nintendo that just won't deal with us. That's strange to me. Yeah. You would think a big publisher like Nintendo would be all about accessibility, but they, so far, just they, they don't want to deal with us. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> 
I was curious about your gameplay lab. Like, I know you mm-hmm. set that up a few years ago. Like, how do you help people in the gameplay lab? Well, like we were talking about earlier, it's an entire laboratory that's basically set up with every imaginable piece of assistive technology and computers and video consoles and everything that, that generally people like to play nowadays set up in a room in a you know giant foyer that has nothing but different types of these equipment set up in various configurations so that somebody could just come in and when we assess what their general problems and challenges might be, we can just wheel them or walk them over to whatever station that we believe might have their solution. So, you know, we have one table that has a mouth controller that you can just control the screen by sipping and puffing on the straw and moving your mouth around. We have another one that looks like a giant keyboard you put on your lap with an arcade stick. You know, like a good old-fashioned, like um, an Atari giant stick you'd see on any kind of arcade. Um, Yeah, yeah, those are great for people that have cerebral palsy because they're really easy to grab onto. If you have something that's more, you know, severely motor neuron type disorder, uh, we actually have... It's hard to describe if you've never seen it, but if you could imagine a standard Xbox controller stuffed into a box that just has a bunch of jacks, just like you would plug your headphones into your computer or your dashboard, Mm -hmm. you just plug in these different switches so that they can be Velcroed around somebody's body anywhere that they have movement. So if you have, yeah, if you have like say eye, uh, like an eyebrow movement, or you can like flex your ears, or you can move your head side to side, then we can help you figure out how to game just based on what movement you have. Is something like the Connect or the the Wii controllers back? You know, when those came out a few years ago, have those been helpful as far as expanding accessibility? So kind of quite the opposite. Really. Yeah, there are people that like to play those kind of games, but for the most part, the Wii is very inaccessible. It does not allow for third-party hardware to be developed easily. Uh, Xbox has a licensing agreement, and PlayStation allows for their controllers to be modded out by, say, Mad Cats or some of the other big-name producers of hardware, whereas the Wii is a completely secluded island of its own design. So you can't design, say, you know, a special hat that you can wiggle around and it'll control the Wii. It's not possible. So we have to just do silly things like put a Wiimote on top of a baseball cap and put it on somebody's head. And although those kind of things work, they're, they're not very practical and most people feel silly using them. So they were not successful and, and they were not uh, our top recommendations. Same thing with, with the Connect. You know, uh, my boss always says, who wants to run around the living room when you could just grab a controller, sit down on the couch, and eat some chips? That makes sense, you know, yeah. You're not going to want to stand in place for 12 hours at a time like some gamers like to play. So even if you love the Connect, you're only going to play it for a short amount of time. So fortunately, the, the movement craze was, was sort of a fad that never really caught on which is very fortunate for what I do because it really runs as a uh, complete anti to what I do. Well, I guess I didn't think of that when I asked the question. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's not something that most people think about. You know, you think about a connect, you're like, oh, well, just moving my arms around. Well, for some people, that's sort of a dream. You know, they, they love to be able to move their arms around, but they can't. Right. Yeah. So in, in my situation, I would figure out a way to put it on a baseball cap or put it on your foot. One kid we met at a conference that I, I just spoke about earlier, he really, really wanted to play Connect, and he had a disorder which made his 
his arms grow very, very stumped. They were only about a mid, maybe as far as your bicep is. That was where his fingers were when his arms were fully developed. His father called it T-Rex syndrome, although that's not its real name. That was that was sort of the, the right, inside right. joke that he had with his his child. And you know, this little teenager really wanted to play Fruit Ninja. In in Fruit Ninja. You have to be able to slice your arms back and forth across the screen. This was before it was an iPad game where you could just flick your finger. You know, you had to be able to run around and slice some dice. And he wanted to play, but the camera couldn't recognize his arms because they were so small. And because they were small, the Kinect wasn't trained to see anything other than a standard, quote-unquote, normal arm. So in order to compensate for that, we just reached down. Grab some packing foam like you might have, you know, just laying around from a box of TVs, handed it to him in a long sort of stick, and he started waving it around like you might a katana, and all of a sudden he was able to play. You know, accessibility is not sophisticated necessarily as it is just interesting for people who might not be thinking that way. What makes you so passionate about helping to expand accessibility for gaming? Uh, you know, it's it's sort of, number one, speaks to me personally. You know, I, I have a neuromuscular disease, so I sort of get that if you're unable to go out to the club or onto the football field or soccer field with your friends, what you can do is you can play video games because that doesn't require your legs or your, your movement. Whereas, you know, everybody has their own story. So I sort of get the importance of, of having video games as an option. When you're somebody who has a mind who's perfectly able, but your your body might not be willing, video games can be a window into an otherwise inaccessible world of, of wonder and freedom and joy. And you, you, mm-hmm. You'd be able to fly and run and jump just like any other person can in a video game, even if you can't do it in real life. So for me, it was really about not only helping people, but sort of getting people to realize that you might not be able to do something the traditional way, but there's no way, no reason that in a virtual world you can't level the playing field. You know, it's interesting. I guess I never thought of it that way until you said what you just said. There can be a stigma sometimes about video games where, you know, it's like a waste of time. You know, There could be things you can do that are more productive, but if you don't necessarily have that option, then I could see where you would want to help people, you know, get involved when if you can. Yeah. That's interesting. You know, it's... It, what's interesting about that is, is people don't realize, especially if you don't spend a lot of time online, exactly how far the rabbit hole of, of virtual worlds can go. Um, there was this girl. So a little bit of a very brief backstory. Uh, Paul Barnett, who is a very important high up guy at Mythic, which is a division of Electronic Arts. Back in the day, they produced a lot of games. And he worked on this one game where you could basically have a virtual world and you had like almost a second life, but but not that video game, like a, a different kind of game where you could have unicorns and horses and you could get married and you could have a life and a house and you could run the, all these things. And mm-hmm. this girl who was only 13 had a disease where she could never leave the house. So she was very much the, the stereotypical, you know, extremely sick can't leave uh, at high risk because of her immune disease and, and she was unable to to go out into the world and on top of that she had her own neuromuscular problems which kept her bed bound and she had never really you know had a birthday party she had never gone out with her friends to a sleepover any of that 
and she really wanted to be able to experience life and through this game that he had made she was able to have a 21st birthday party she was able to get married to her her virtual love and be able to to own a pony farm and and go through wow. these these cool things and she sent him a letter and basically the letter said you know thank you for all these things and and afterwards was was commentary from her mom who had said you know unfortunately since this you know she passed away but i wanted you to know how great it was that she was able to experience all these things through a video game it gave her the same the same sort of experiences that anyone else would have and she would have never had that opportunity without you and that really is what you know made him appreciate accessibility made him become a, a member of able gamers and and sort of go on because you know virtual worlds are not just about playing games they can really be about experiencing life wow that that really puts this whole situation in perspective so has this type of work transcended games at all like has anything that you've been involved in sort of left gaming and helped out those with limited mobility or disabilities in other ways? Well, sure. I mean, just like the story we talked about with the girl, that's a great example. One of my favorite stories is um, there was this family that I helped in an expo in Chicago, and it was a mom and a dad and a sister and a son in a wheelchair. The son was very physically disabled. He had a heart monitor. He was in a wheelchair, reclined back. He had his legs sticking out and a drool bib on the side, and he was sort of looking around. You could tell that he was cognizant, but his body just wasn't cooperating with him. And the family stood outside of our booth for a long time, looking at these TV monitors with games and just sort of staring. And, and I noticed them standing over there. I came over to them and you know motioned for them to come over, and you know I said, "Come on, let's let's give it a shot." You know, come in and check it out. And they were like, "No, no, no. You know, we can't do this. You know, my son, he's he's too physically disabled. It's it's not going to happen." And I, I eventually you know badgered them to the point where I was like, "Come on, let's just give it a shot." And yeah, yeah. and uh, they were able to come in the booth, and my boss Mark and I sat with them and, and did our assessment. And within about five minutes, we noticed that his right foot had some movement left in it. So we, f- we fired up a racing game, brought out a foot pedal that could be uh, lightly pushed, and we held the foot pedal up to his foot, and he was able to operate the gas and make the car start moving. And he just lights up, starts squealing and bubbling, and just, you know, you could, you could almost feel the joy coming out of him. He was immensely happy beyond the words and yeah it's cool the mom and the dad are just in tears and just like oh my god is this possible and and we were able to help them get him back into gaming but the the great part of that was about at the end of the show later that night the dad walked up behind me this this big six foot two vin diesel army marine looking dude came up behind me taps me on the shoulders i turn around and here's a dude with tears in his eyes saying thank you you gave my son an ability that I never thought he would have. He always is in my arms on the couch. And whenever a video game ad comes on TV, he starts squealing and wiggling. And I know he wants to play, but I never thought he could. And, wow. and that was sort of it for me. That was, that was the moment that I knew that I needed to do this. Because it's not just about the gaming. It's about giving someone an experience in life that they might never otherwise have if we weren't around to show them. That makes me curious also, how has doing this work affected you personally? Like, 
Would you say it's helped you deal with your own condition? I think that anytime you can focus on helping someone else with their problems and not your own, that's that's helpful. You know what I mean? As they say, psychiatrists are often the worst patients because they ignore their own problems in order to help others. And mm-hmm. I think in a lot of ways, that's that's for mine as well. I, I didn't mind stepping out of the first-person shooter world and and giving my life over to able gamers and helping you know that brand succeed because i knew that it was important it was it was bigger than just me being able to go shoot somebody in the face for the fun of it it, it was about helping somebody have experiences in real life whether that's a coping mechanism or not i guess that's for someone to psychoanalyze me in, in a book about my life someday uh, but uh, for now you know i can just tell you that I don't regret my choice of stopping gaming every day in order to help other people. And I hope that other people also see the value in giving people experiences that they might not otherwise get. Would you say you're optimistic about the expansion of accessibility and includification going forward? The landscape is is getting better, and more and more companies are coming to us and asking about accessibility. They're going to other industry experts on you know what they should do to make things better and yes things are getting better the problem is that although able gamers is the only nonprofit in the world that wants to put itself out of business there's nothing more than i would love to come back and do your show in five years and say you know what josh there's no need for me anymore it's all accessible now the problem is that as technology becomes more mobile it becomes less accessible to those who don't have mobility so, oh, you know, you're, okay. you're somebody who wants to play on their tablet. That's great. Well, I can't pick up a tablet. So immediately everything on the tablet is off limits to me unless I have some sort of assistive technology to help me overcome that barrier. Same thing huh. with virtual reality. If they come out with, say, a holodeck type of thing, anyone who cannot get up and, and experience it like they would in real life will be completely locked out of it. Anything where you have to have a connect, anything where you, you know, need to be able to move your head... Even somebody with a low vision will be locked out of, of the VR experience. So, yes, things are getting more accessible, but technology is always a race. So, in, in my line of work, it's always like we're racing against the clock to make this current generation of technology more accessible before the next generation comes along and we have to start all over again. Never thought of it that way. So is there anything that my listeners could do to help you or the people that you serve in your mission? Well, like all nonprofits, we are completely based on donors and the generosity of the the great public that we exist in. And and right now we are over 85% individually funded. Uh, We have uh, 96% of our money goes to our mission, which is one of the highest in the industry, actually charity industry as a whole. Uh, 96 cents for every dollar goes directly to our missions. So I saw that. That's impressive. It takes a lot of work, and we have a lot of volunteers who are gracious enough to give us their time without charging us, and we're grateful for that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. There's a lot of work to be that needs to be done. There is somewhere between 33 and 70 million gamers with disabilities on the North American continent alone. Up to estimates have it up to a billion worldwide. So. Uh, well, there's a lot of work to be done, and we need a lot of money to do it. So if anyone wants to donate and help that way, you can go to ablegamers.com slash donate, and you can give monthly, yearly, 
If you don't have the funds to be able to donate, we also appreciate any you know, word of mouth that someone might be able to do. Just a couple of tweets, a Facebook post, you know, let someone in your family know that, that disabled gamers exist and that we are fighting for equality just like everyone else and that, you know, we're we're there and playing and these people need to be heard. And this is a message that is important. Do you still play? I play when I have time. Um, being COO, I don't get as much time as I'd like, but when I right. do, you can catch me in League of Legends or some of the other MOBAs out there. Oh, I guess I didn't expect that League of Legends would be more accessible than some other games. Yeah, it's all about what's accessible for you. So there are games that are more accessible to me, but they're not the games that I want to play. So, you know, give me a, a mouse that has some fast clicking speed and uh, a head tracking device that allows me to look in different directions to push keyboard buttons and you know i can kill people just like the rest <laughs> that's great is there anything you'd like to add that we haven't covered um nope i think you you about covered uh, most of it in the time we're allowed i'm just blown away by the things that you guys are accomplishing and i'm just so happy that that it's, it's helping you to, as well yeah. like it, it's not it's like it's doing a lot for you you know it's 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 good to be able to do things for other people when you can't necessarily do it for yourself. All right. I hope you have a great rest of the week, and I really appreciate your time. You've been very generous. Hey, no problem, man. Uh, let me know someday when you're big and famous. Remember us. <laughs> yeah, all right. I'll see what I can do. All right, my friend. Take care. This has been The Plural of You. I'm Josh Morgan, and the show's website is pluralofyou.org. That's all for now. Thank you for being kind today. Take care.